So yeah, feel free to ask questions after the uh, we have limited time, but not going to limit your That's what the point of this discussion is about. More conflict, more discussion, even better. So the next uh, person who's going to speak to us is uh, David Cooley. Uh, he has conveniently left out his resume from the uh, footnotes of uh, your booklet, but I'll fill in what's necessary. Um, he's a uh, consultant in Perth, in one of the busiest uh, hospitals in Western Australia. Um, he's head of toxicology there. He was my teacher during my fellowships, and uh, he's an excellent doctor, and I think all of you physicians will understand that there's nothing else to be said after that. He's also a very, very nice chap, so just please welcome David McCoubrey. Thank you very much for all, and uh, we very much miss him in Perth. We enjoyed his stay with us and uh, training in emergency medicine. Um, as you all have said, I work in Perth um, in, a, in a sort of a large, busy, uh, central, urban um, emergency department, seeing about 80,000 patients a year. Um, we see a lot of, in, in the inner city environment, we see a lot of drugs of abuse. And for those working in emergency medicine, we know that drugs of abuse are very uh, the top sort of thing that we need to become familiar with. And so hopefully, in, as a result of the presentation, we can give you some familiarity with that topic. I'm going to, I've been given the topic um, drugs of abuse, new, old and emerging, and that's a very large topic, and I can't cover that in 20 minutes. Um, I'm specifically going to look at illicit drugs. Now, for those familiar with this area, they'll see the term illicit there, and they'll know that means illegal. Um, and there's a slight trick in this title in that emerging drugs of abuse aren't all illegal. So I'm dumping them all in together because um, they may become illegal as legislative control catches up with them. So, what are our objectives today? I want to give you an overview of illicit drugs, and I can't hope to, carry, uh, to cover it all, but I specifically want to give you some information about the emerging drugs of abuse and, and their origins, where they come from, what they're trying to imitate, um, and really very much focus on the stimulant class of agents because this is where a lot of um, activity has been um, in this area. And we have some evidence that's emerging as the toxicity profiles of these newer stimulants. And I was also asked to sort of try and make a practical what you need to know for your next shift, so hopefully I can sort of crunch it all together and give you some take-home messages. Just by way of background, a little plot of history. Mind-altering substances have been used by humanity for thousands of years. Okay, so people have chewed cocoa leaves to get small doses of cocaine. They've chewed, chewed cat leaves to get um, other sort of stimulant effects for many years. And, and in a lot of other cultures, um, uh, hallucinogens in the way of belladonna alkaloids have been used as well. In the past century, um, availability has increased um, and, and use has increased massively, largely on the back of the ability to synthesise agents and produce them with emerging markets and demand. Surprisingly as well, use uh, over the last century has become quite socially acceptable in some settings. Um, what you see up here is a benzodrine inhaler it's an amphetamine that you would get, if you requested it, on your aircraft flight in Pan American Airways in the first half of last century. You could choose, I'll have an orange juice drink and I'll have a benzodrine amphetamine inhaler. <laughs> and you'd sell a couple of puffs and uh, make yourself feel a little better. That's one way to tolerate the travel. Um, that then obviously became slightly less uh, socially acceptable and legislated against in subsequent decades. Um, now, recently, um, 
Synthetic technologies have been used to manipulate compounds with the aim of staying ahead of the ability to legislate and control legally. So this is what this whole term emerging is all about. They're emerging not because they're, they're, they're brand new agents, but they are manipulators, manipulated changes to known stimulant structures or known hallucinogenic structures. And as a result, um, emerging drugs of abuse are just synthetic variants of old, and that's the good news for us treating these patients, because probably a lot of our traditional management strategies will cover these agents well. But also as a result of this, it's evolving rapidly, and information I give to you today may well be completely out of place and out of date in the next sort of six months to 12 months. So traditional classes of drugs of abuse, um, obviously there's the stimulant class, and that's what we're focusing on largely today, with the prototypes of cocaine and the amphetamine style, phenylethylamine style um, stimulants, sedative euphorians, where people would try to alter their mentation through uh, making themselves slightly sedated and yet that feeling of euphoria just prior to coma. Um, and the hallucinogenic compounds, um, very, very commonly abused for a very long time. And I've separated out the dissociatives, which are people who often classify with the hallucinogenic compounds, and that they are often hallucinogenic on emergence, not so much on the way down. It's a big problem. Okay, so estimated up to 200 or 250,000 deaths annually, globally, from drugs of abuse. That's a big problem. It's very hard to get good data on this, and we, we, we deal with estimates, and this is from the World Drug Report from 2011, but I put a, um, obviously depending on where you move in the world, the, the drug use profile will be different. In Australia, and I put Australia and UK to give a northern and a southern hemisphere look to this, um, you can see that cannabis is fairly well, uh, well used in, in the country that I'm from, as well as in the UK. Um, I've got some data there from Singapore, and I, I stress these are estimates, but it appears to be very, very low in terms of its use. Um, Amphetamine-like stimulants, well, uh, they're very much used in Australia, and, the, and, and synthesis, clandestine synthesis of amphetamines is commonly uh, used. In fact, at the centre I work at, one of the most leading causes of burn presentations to the emergency department are private drug labs exploding and burning people. Um, we just ventilated someone just the other day uh, with a clandestine drug explosion. Um, opiates still fairly prevalent too, um, less so a little bit in Australia, we're a little bit further away from standard uh, marketing fields. Cocaine, very much bigger in the UK, and I couldn't get any cocaine data for Singapore, but the quoted estimates for Singapore are very much um, uh, less than other world standards, so you're doing well. Whether or not I stress their estimates though, so we don't have good data on that. These, just to make it a little bit practical as well, I mean, drugs of abuse have a big impact on emergency medicine. Okay, and I'm not going to cover all of them and their impact, but amphetamine presentations I've picked out because they're like stimulants and they have this potential to very much take over your emergency department. They're very challenging medically and behaviourally, and once they're recovered from their intoxication episode and had a very large team of people looking after them, they're then also a challenging group of patients with their personalities the drug use obviously changing that whole way they interact with the world. Potential, a lot of, lot of resources consumed, potentially to take out a very large chunk of your ED staffing looking after these patients. And what we're trying to do is look after them acutely, need to consider the potential life threats and treat and seek and treat those, as well as um, trying to, once these people have recovered, trying to stop this cycle of back in, back in, back in, we see, and try and do some good in the long term. 
Um, we recently thought we were in the midst of an amphetamine epidemic, probably about five years ago, and uh, so over a three-month period we sampled um, uh, every presentation to ED um, to determine whether or not we thought their presentation was amphetamine-related, and we found that um, in that three-month period, 1.2% of all ED presentations in that period was, were amphetamine-related, which was rather surprising to us because we thought that's quite large. Um, we looked at their physical symptoms and the conditions that they presented with. Fairly uh, classically, in terms of physical symptoms, the usual sort of spread of sympathomimetic symptomatology, Although the very the thing I really want to um, draw your attention to here, was, and this is the thing that surprised us, was with a very large component of psychiatric comorbidity or psychiatric component to the presentations of people with amphetamine abuse. So psychosis in um, about an eighth of people, one in eight were presenting with their amphetamine problem with an acute psychosis to our ED. And uh, for those people who work in countries where amphetamine use is prevalent, they've probably seen similar sort of data big drug-induced psychosis component to, the, to that illness. So the stimulants, well, we've talked about the, pro, the prototypes of amphetamine and cocaine. How do they work? Well, they mediate their effects through raised catecholamine levels centrally and peripherally. They do this through two major mechanisms, through pro, increasing presynaptic release, and that's particularly the amphetamine-type stimulants, and the blockage of reuptake of those amines, particularly with cocaine, although there's significant crossover in these groups. There's also two dependent on the type of class. With that with cocaine, you might see some local anaesthetic style sodium channel blocking effects as well. Lethality usually relates to hyperthermia, effects also on the heart, whether that be myocardial ischemia, acute cardiomyopathy, or acute coronary syndrome, or hypertensive crises where people rupture blood vessels. Um, also, we see hyponatremia and seizures feature quite prominently. So amphetamines, they're based around the phenylethylamine structure. That structure is a biological amine that you can detect in low levels in people. It's a classic benzene structure with a side chain. And if we fiddle with that side chain and put a methyl component on this alpha carbon, we get alpha-methyl phenylethylamine, and that is otherwise known as amphetamine. And amphetamine is basically amphet. Amen. Okay, so just concentrated that word together because that's a bit of a mouthful. Now, if we fiddle with that structure a bit as well and stick another methyl component onto that nitrogen, we get meth or methyl amphetamine, otherwise known as ice. Cocaine, a slightly more complicated structure here, benzyl methyl eganine. It has a benzene structure as well and a very much more complicated side chain and as a result has a lot more complicated physiological effects. Potent local anaesthetic and sympathomimetic. And when I started in emergency medicine, we used to give people cocaine to treat their nosebleeds. Um, we don't do that any longer. Um, we use other drugs that aren't illegal. Um, and we, I've already mentioned they have a potent sodium channel effect and have potent vasoconstrictor action. Yeah. All right. So they're the classic stimulants, all right, amphetamines and cocaines. And I want to give you a little case look here. This was from 2003, a patient that I saw on our ops ward at Royal Perth Hospital, which was very much opened our eyes to this issue of emerging drugs of abuse. They were around slightly before that, but this was the sort of index case for our institution. So a 24-year-old male, he was brought in by ambulance after suffering a seizure, lasted about five minutes. He was quite sympathomimetic when he arrived at hospital, at a very raised heart rate. Um, raised blood pressure, very agitated, GCS about 13, big pupils. 
but Colac took from the ambulance, said that his mates said that I'd, that's an Australian term, his friends, um, and said he'd taken a pill, undisclosed pill, we presume some sort of amphetamine. He was treated with some benzodiazepines, someone scanned his head, which was normal, and he was admitted for observation. Clearly, the event scared him because the following day he wanted to talk. Okay? He, he, in a sense, he'd had this catharsis of history from it that he wanted to give us. He was an experienced drug taker at the age of 24, had had a lot of history with lots of psychostimulants. He said that I'd taken a, he'd taken a, a compound called 2CI, which we didn't know what that meant, uh, that he'd got over the internet from a... Um, website called buzzwholesale.com <laughs> and it was delivered to him by post to his front door, then it was in powdered format, he then through internet chat rooms determined what the right dose was, he got micro scales out, he then got little components, split this up, got the right weight, he got his own capsules poured it into the capsules and then reconfigured them as capsules and shared them amongst his friends. He said he really liked this compound, and the reason why he liked it compared to all the other psychostimulants that he'd tried was that he could manipulate the hallucinations, which he thought was rather interesting. <laughs> 2CI as a compound has got this benzene ring structure with a phenylethylamine base structure, it's got two hydroxyl groups on the second and the fifth carbon, and an iodine group on the fourth carbon. Okay. So it's 2,5-dimethoxy iodophenylethylamine, and essentially it's amphetamine. And it was legal, okay, so no prosecution for him. So, these newer stimulants, they're structural variation to older stimulants. And this isn't particularly new in the, in, in the 1980s. MDMA is ecstasy, is basically a methylene dioxy component on the, on the third and fourth carbon on the end of methylamphetamine. So we get methylene, deoxymethamphetamine. And the substitution there does bring some additional biological effects. You see some serotonin type of features um, and some additional hallucinogenic type features. And there have been countless aberrations to that structure over the last sort of 20, 30 years. Since 2000, though, there's been a massive rise in manipulations to other compounds with known stimulant properties, and we'll go through some of those, but um, the piprazines are going to discuss the cathinones, which all have these benzene-type structures, and I'll also speak about dimethicane very briefly, which is otherwise known as synthetic or legal cocaine. So there's the list, and that is by no means complete. Okay, and we're going to focus largely on those three. The phenidates might be familiar to some of you. Methylphenidate being Ritalin, used for ADHD in a lot of countries. Um, you can get ethylphenidate um, and uh, countless other aberrations to that in, from these types of sources. Um, tryptamines, that might sound rather familiar as well because tryptamines, 5-hydroxytryptamine is serotonin. You can get multiple aberrations of that too chemically as well um, through tapping into this industry. Hard to get good data in this area, but this was probably the best table that I could find. That's from the Forensic Science Service in the UK, and I've sourced this from a report um, produced by Paul Dargan and David Wood from um, the United Kingdom. Um, and this is drug seizures, okay? So this is law enforcement agencies with drug seizures. And over the last, these are all three month periods, and over the last sort of ten, uh, eight to ten years, they noticed a decline in MDMA or ecstasy drug seizures, but they saw concurrently a quite an alarming increase in cuperazine drug seizures. They then tailed off, and then since 2009, it's exponential rising cathinone derivatives. So what are these agents? What are the cuperazines? What are the cathinones? 
well, piperazines, if you want to find what a piperazine is, just Google piperazine and you'll come up with websites talking about party pills. Okay, so it sounds quite friendly, doesn't it? It's a thing you go to a party, you'd have your party pill. Um, they also market it as legal highs. They had their origin um, as an antiparasitic type agent, but more recently, antihistamines, antipsychotics, and antidepressants have piperazine type structures. Earlier agents were called benzylpiprazines and they had this stimulant type effect. And then that became black banded, and then they started marketing them with BZP3, and that's what that's supposed to do right there. They cancelled the BZP, tried to stay ahead of the litigation, um, and they produced compounds like fluorophenylpiprazine, and then the piprazines became illegal in some senses, and then they've moved on, um, and they keep moving on. What are the, what's the data that we've got on piprazines? Well, this is a very helpful case series from New Zealand. Um, 80 cases, very typical physical symptoms spread for sympathomimetics. But the thing to notice there is normally we see with amphetamine-type compounds up to 5% of presentations with kids. So that we're getting up towards 20%. So a higher incidence of seizures with these compounds. The cathinones, and for those people that are familiar with this sort of area of drugs of abuse, emerging drugs of abuse, you will have heard the term um, bath salts, okay, and very cleverly these people that produce these agents give the terms that are, it wouldn't raise suspicion by drug and law enforcement agencies. They're marketed as bath salts, plant food even, legal highs or herbal highs, or even not for human consumption. Um, but quite clearly, this is intended for human consumption, as you can see from this. And similarly too, with methadrone here, so whole plant food, they're very nicely placed the actual structure of the cathinone compound there, which once again looks very much like amphetamine, okay, phenylethylamine type structure. Cathinones are naturally occurring, uh, they come from the cat plant um, historically, and these leaves have been chewed for millennia. They're a beta ketone derivative of amphetamine, so a very similar structure, um, and there are countless agents, in excess of 30 of them, that are used. Methadrone, which is on the slide previous, um, is very prominent and is otherwise known as drone or meow-meow in the drug-taking community. What are their clinical effects? Very similar to amphetamines, agitation very prominent, seizures prominent, and we do have case reports emerging of deaths with these. For completeness as well, just wanted to talk about, the, on the other side, uh, the, we've talked a little bit about the amphetamine, the phenylethylamine class, but then the cocaine side of things. Cocaine being a very um, complicated structure, there are people out there creating compounds that have a cocaine-like structure. Dimethicane and fluorobenzotropane being two of the more prominent ones. We don't have a lot of data as to their effects. Um, but some European sources of information would suggest a drug like dimethicane, which is freely available over the internet as well, um, has about a two-thirds potency compared to cocaine. So how do people get hold of them? Well, um, where I come from, mainly from the internet. It's become the new marketplace. In some countries, herbal shops as well, or even head shops, I think I understand they call them in the UK, um, are able to sell these compounds without... Um, any sort of policing or litigation problems. They're marketed to avoid suspicion, as we've already seen. It's an international industry, okay? So these are large chemical um, firms creating variants to these compounds. And it's very hard for authorities to legislate. Here's a little example of one of the websites, and I'm not doing this for advertising purposes, but for information. <laughs> okay, wehigh.com. 
um, but they very proudly state here that they're now VAT registered. Yeah. So that means they can have value-added tax. Isn't that good? They they call themselves research chemical specialists, okay, for whatever that means, and strictly not for human consumption, um, which is why, again, um, you really need to take time on cheek. If you click on research chemicals, you will get a list countless pages long of varying chemical structures that they've been playing with. In this case, this is a tryptamine that they've called alpha-methyltryptamine, remembering that, al- uh, that amphetamine is alpha-methylphenylethylamine. So they've tried to put a similar side chain on a tryptamine structure with the hope of producing amphetamine-like effects. And you can buy it for £35 in a certain dose range. Some sites will allow you to buy half a kilo. And this has become quite well known in the media, um, legal highs, low, and this was a media piece from Australia, law enforcement nightmare. How can they keep up? How are they getting hold of it? The drugs are in the mail. Okay, and there are multiple websites. This one now has been shut down, um, where people could get these illegal, these substances, and even some illegal substances over the internet. Thank you. My time's up, so I'll just finish off. So, if I was to revisit the classes now with the emerging drugs of abuse, we can add countless to the stimulant side. What we haven't covered today is the synthetic cannabinoids in the hallucinogenic side, and the synthetic ketamines and the foxetamine in the dissociated side. So what do you need to know for your next shift? Well, there are countless new agents of drugs of abuse. Thankfully, though, for us, they're largely structural variants of old, so the toxicity is somewhat predictable. So case identification, you'll look for the same physical signs. The management principles are largely the same. And as I say to all of our residents in Australia, benzos, benzos, benzos for virtually every complication from amphetamine or stimulant abuse. Um, obviously slightly different in cocaine situation that will often go with benzodiazepines and with QRS widening we may need to alkalize as well. Uh, some acknowledgements there. Obviously the European Monitoring Centre for Drugs and Drug Addiction is an excellent site and provide lots of up-to-date information. Clinical Toxicology Service and guys at St Thomas's in London also publish extensively in this area and I wanted to acknowledge them. And Professor Daniel Fatovich, one of my colleagues in Perth, um, has provided me with quite a bit of information in the process of this talk. Any questions? Maybe for the sake of the residents, could you just explain why we do not use uh, meter blockers for, for these agents? Yep, sure. So question, if everyone heard that, why do we not use beta blockers? Okay, um, I'll give you a case where, where it was used and everything went pear-shaped. Um, but essentially these agents result in very high levels of circulating capthalamines, particularly noradrenaline. Um, people, it's very tempting to see the abnormalities in the vital signs and think this person's got a heart rate of 160, I might like to slow it down with a beta adrenergic blocker. What that tends to do is that, and they're never fully selective, even if you give someone metoprolol or actenolol IV, they'll block the beta-1 receptors, but they will not, and they'll also partially block the beta-2 vasodilatation in the peripheral arterioles, which will result in even more intense vasoconstriction. So what we have then is a flogged heart struggling to beat against this wall of afterload that when on the administration of this agent, which you think is going to help, just does that to the afterload and we get precipitous cardiac failure and decompensation. Uh, and there's been countless cases of that. Certainly in our institution it's happened once, but it will never happen again. <laughs> uh, anybody else? That's a very detailed rundown. Anyone else? Thank you, David. Thank you.